Like a mom giving last-minute instructions to her children before she leaves them off for their first day of school, the Apostle Paul is reluctant to put down his quill as he remembers so many important things he wants to tell the young believers in Thessalonica before he signs off. As Dave Wurtzen closes our study in 1 Thessalonians, let's respond to Paul's urgency and let the Spirit teach us how we can live at peace in our marriages, our families, our church family, and in our world. We want to look at a portion of Scripture that you can just read over constantly because we live in a world that this passage really speaks to. The Palestinians and Israelis, the leader of the Palestinians and the leader of the Israelis came to Washington, and they're seeking peace. These people hate each other so badly, they need a wall between them, right? You all know about the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Then we live in a culture where you've had an incredible argument, like New York's supposed to be the most cosmopolitan city in the world. And there's been an incredible argument about building a community center that is a Muslim community center about two blocks from ground zero. And I could produce a fight right here this morning over that issue. Our culture is filled. New Yorkers expressed that very few of them really know Muslim people. They have great fear of Muslim people. So that is a tremendous divide. You don't realize, but historically, the East-West divide between the Western cultures and the Eastern cultures, specifically the incredible domination in the Eastern part of the Middle East and then in Egypt, across North Africa. That's been a tremendous warfare through the centuries. You're living in the continuation of that. Tremendous hostility over the fight between the East and the West. Then you've all been thinking about a pastor, one pastor with a church that just is about this many people, and yet he's riveted the world. And we could produce another fight. He's going to burn Qurans. And one of the things you've been faced with is that some of you, even in your own lives, that you get things on the internet about how the Muslims are taking over the world, or you see pictures of stoning, and, and then you extrapolate it. And you hate, and you get angry, you're afraid, and you want to get rid of all this. And in fact, I want you to know, for example, that throughout the Islamic world, that's what they do with you. How many of you would like all of you as Christians, born-again Christians, to be pictured like the pictures you've seen in Gainesville, Florida? That all Christians want to burn Quran. Is that what all of you want to do? And I want you to understand how it works. You live in a culture right now where it's media. And if I want to capture your attention, if I want to get you really going, I got to get you angry. I need to get you to hate. I need to get you really moving. And I appeal to the deepest part of you, your patriotism, your religious values. What I want to understand is that that's what happens. And then you extrapolate. I've been in Jordan. I've been in Egypt. I've been in Morocco. It just is not true that all the Muslims want to blow you up. But we have something much bigger we need to do for Muslims. And our church family is very involved in that. You need to think through about how our attitudes, what we say, what we do. What does it do in helping people that are different than us to really understand that it's not about accepting American Western culture. It's about coming to know the only Savior that can forgive a guy without his shirt on. With a beer in his hand. Not that that's the ultimate sin but that has never really heard about Jesus. And this is what our faith is about. Jesus is going into all the world to seek and to save that which was lost. 
I want you to ask yourself, are we making it possible for people to capture a glimpse of the Prince of Peace? Because you represent a different kingdom. It's a kingdom where there's forgiveness. It's a kingdom where there's, where there's relationships that are healed, where red and yellow, black and white can be one in Christ, where it's not an issue of whether you're a Muslim in culture and, and you take your shoes off when you go into a place of worship or whether you're a Southern Baptist that never would take their, shirt, their shoes off. And some of you, you know, fight about those things. And what you understand is Jesus is much bigger than those things. So that's why I want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 5 because this is a passage I'd like us during these fall months together uh, to read. It's a great way for us to conclude our study of 1 Thessalonians, but it also is an incredible um, summary. A lot of you moms just took your kids to school. In fact, I saw some of you crying, and the tears were streaming down your face, and I also I watched you in your vans, and Mary and I remember those days because as you send your kids off to school, some of the kids were saying, Mom, I know, I know, I know, because you moms are just pouring information at you. You just jump from one subject to another. Remember this, remember this, remember this. Any of you moms do that? Well, the, that's because you loved your kids. Because the Apostle Paul loved the Thessalonians, it's like he can't sign off. That's why when we as preachers talk to you, we usually go too long, and we shouldn't, but we, we, we love you so much, we want to make sure that we get the last-minute instructions in. That's what the Apostle Paul does in this section. Look at it in verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who work hard among you, who were over you in the Lord, who admonish you or warn you. I want you to hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work, and then he goes into a command for peace. Let's begin by talking about leaders worthy of respect. They're worthy of respect because they work hard and they labor. I want you to know that what we're talking about leaders is there's no title. In fact, this is the, one of the earliest references in God's word to leadership. We don't know whether they're elders. We don't know whether they're overseers, which is the Hebrew word for bishop, which doesn't communicate at all what some of you from more liturgical backgrounds think of priests and bishops and, and cardinals and all of that. In the first century church, they were just groups of people, just like you are this morning. And their leaders were those that were good daddies in their midst. They were good husbands in their midst. If they were single like him in the first century, they were men that had the qualities of gentleness, of, of easy to entreat them. They had great qualities of believing in the Savior. And I want all of you to know that we want to continue that, but we need to realize that we need to give regard. We need to know who our leaders are, that we need to respect them, and we need to respect them for their work. I want every leader to know and this will be important if, like, if you're a business leader, this principle works for you. There's a tremendous tendency for people to get into titles and into positions. And I've worked with many leaders that think that they have influence because they have a name. They have a title. Nobody follows people because of titles. People that really have influence work. It begins in church leadership with daddies who really work at being close to Christ and respond to the Spirit, and they really do give oversight in their family. They encourage their kids. They're patient with their kids, and they admonish their kids, and that's what's stressed here. They warn their kids when they're messing up. One of the things that's desperately needed in our culture is for there to be leaders 
that in their homes they take responsibility for their family and they warn people when they're doing wrong. As a daddy, your primary responsibility is to get your kids ready to be on their own, to own their own faith, to be able to work, to be able to make it. And it takes tremendous strength to be able to do that. And as you begin to evidence that leadership in your home, then you'll evidence leadership in places like Sunday school and a one and working together and leadership out there in the marketplace. We don't want to choose leaders in a local church because of their business expertise, because they make a lot of money. That's what we do as Americans. We put power people into power positions. That's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He says that we need to respect our leaders. We need to give them agape love because they work hard among us. So, man, this passage convicts me today. Dave and Mary, are you working hard to shepherd God's family? I'm still teaching. I'm still a shepherd. You don't retire from God's family. I want all of you to know that. I'm a leader. I was here in the beginning. We're still with you. We're still shepherding. We're still a dad. Pray that Mary and I will work hard. We need your encouragement. We need to be blessed, all of us. But I want you to know that we do this together as a team. What you've experienced this morning, it's not a show. It's not theater. It's the church. It's the body. It's what your families. What we do this morning is an extension of what you need to be doing as daddies in your family. I just want to bless you to encourage and respect the plurality of leadership that we're doing, I want to encourage you younger men that you need to grow in your fathering. You need to grow in what you're doing to help kids in Little League and all the things you're involved in. And you're in a church family that that has a long history where godly men and godly women have truly lived this in the marketplace was my passion. The vision of our church is for what you've experienced this morning. I want you to take it into your little league. I want you to take it into your schools. I want you to take it into your businesses. That's the vision I have. I want unbelievers to see a person at peace, a person that is really close to the Lord. And that leads to the second thing the Apostle Paul speaks to us about. He says that you need to live at peace together. One of the incredible things the Lord has done since 1973 is that you have lived at peace as a body of believers. Boy, we need to thank the Lord for that. How do you do that? Like we haven't had multiple church splits. We've started a lot of churches. And I want to pray that we're going to do that even more. But the original leaders that we started out with, they're still with me. I just prayed with three of them. Just awesome what the Lord does. How do you do that? Look what Paul says. He says he commands us that we need to live at peace. Look at at the next verse there. It says that you need to live in peace with each other. I want to ask you this morning, are you obeying that command? Are you living at peace with one another? How do we do that? Look what he says. He says we want you to live at peace with each other, and we urge you, brothers, he uses a very strong word, warn those who are lazy. If you're a daddy... If your kids are lazy, you need to warn them. One of the biggest tragedies among a group of believers today is we've raised generation that don't know what it is to work hard. They don't know what it is to sweat, what it is to, that you've really got to put in time. And we have people that think, oh, I can just sit around and, and go to the movies and watch TV and go to Chili's and have a great time and, and everything will be great. No, it won't. You'll starve to death eventually. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. It's very concrete. He's saying, if you've got a group of believers, you need to teach them not to be idle. 
to work hard. You got to sweat. You got you to gotta work hard. If you're in college, it means you need, you need to get your assignments done. If you're a believing student, like in the class that I teach tomorrow night in a community college, my believing students that are part of our church family, they should be a model that they get their assignments done, that they remember what they're supposed to do, and that they don't drop out. It's very concrete. We need to warn those that are lazy as a parent. You need to help your kids to learn. You've got to work hard. You've got to stay at it when it gets tough. The Apostle Paul is very honest about this. You need to really be on those that are lazy. Be strong with them. Warn them. Proverbs pictures. I went by the field of a sluggard, and it was filled with thorns, and it wasn't producing anything, and, and there was starvation beginning to take over. That's what happens when people are lazy. But then it switches gears and says that you need to encourage those that have a little heart. Some of you are timid. Some of you are scared. Gary was scared to speak in public. Dale was a little bit. So you as a congregation, you did it this morning. You encouraged Dale and, and Gary that don't do that professionally. And you laughed and you encouraged them and you can feel the warmth. You did this this morning. You encouraged. They're not weak-hearted in their lives. But they were weak-hearted to speak in public. That's one of the hardest, by the way, that's the worst fear there is for most people. So I want to model that. I want you to understand as a congregation, we want to be a congregation that we encourage the weak-hearted, those that are timid. And you want to do that with the littlest child. We should be in a church family with the littlest child that's scared and is timid, that we come alongside them through the power of Christ and, and we, we encourage them and we comfort them. And that word also means to comfort. And then finally, it says that we need to help those that are weak. And there's so many needs, widows in our church. And just this past week, the leaders are, are wrestling with someone that has a need to pay rent. And I want you to know that as you give, and if you're not giving, this is one of the things that really bless you. Because you give, it enables us to meet all the needs of the weak. I'm on the board of the United Way. Like as you have those, those appeals at your businesses and stuff, the, the United Way is manna. It is one organization after another. It's Meals on Wheels. It's ministries to moms that have had babies that were stillborn. One of the organizations we serve helps women and men that have lost their little baby that are stillborn to make sure that they can have a burial service for them and they can really honor them. You might not even know about things like that. Helping those that really need help. We live in a place where you know, like we gripe about the school system. You can do something about that. You can mentor a kid that's at risk. You can mentor kids. We live in a school system where a lot of the leaders are born-again brothers and sisters just like you. You have a wide-open opportunity to get to know kids and not proselytize, but you can come alongside them when they ask you questions. That's what I do in Navarro. I'm not there as a preacher. I teach them all about Native Indian religions. I teach them about Hinduism. I teach them about Buddhism. But you realize that when you go through a whole semester and you lay Jesus alongside all of those different religions... Guess who wins? My daughter-in-law was way away from Jesus down at, at Texas State. She came back to Jesus in a world religion class taught by an agnostic that was an existentialist. That's the incredible thing that Jesus does. And that's what it means to help the weak. And I'm trying to model that to you as a shepherd, that I'm like you. I'm in the marketplace. I'm doing exactly what you do, that we're not just in some 
special little bubble. The Apostle Paul tells us we need to comfort those that are weak. He says, make sure that, and this is really important, he says, I want you to be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. It's not payback time. There's a part of me that loves make my day. Revenge. They don't let us build churches in Saudi Arabia, so we don't let them build at ground anywhere near ground zero. Is that what you want to think? How do you think we're going to reach the Muslim world? What we want to think is this is where the rubber meets the road. Like I said earlier, how would you like all the Muslim world to say this is what born-again Christians are? They burn Qurans. You say, well, Dave, where did that begin? It begins with whether or not you're friends with Muslims. How many of you know a Muslim? They're right here in our area. How do you relate to Hindus, to Muslims, to Jews at work? You see, the message I'm trying to bring to you is not about Christendom. I'm not going to defend Christendom at all. Man, we've cut people's heads off just like the Muslims have. The Western armies have marched. In fact, to be honest with you, you say, well, man, they're going to take over the world. No, we've already taken over the world. Do you realize that you're the most powerful army in the world? Do you realize that the British that were Western during the Victorian era, when Christianity was culturally the thing in England, they dominated Iraq and Iran. I want you to know as a Western culture, we've already dominated the Islamic world. So if you're scared, I want you to know they're really scared because they think you're going to roll right over them. No more families. Women that just dress without any clothes. Little kids that are kidnapped in public squares. When I go to a Muslim country and I'm eating their meals, that's what they're scared of. So is it payback time? Or is it time to show them peace? And I'm not talking about compromising the truth at all. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is not just a prophet. But Jesus told his followers, if we're going to be his followers, put down the sword, Peter. Don't cut people's heads off and miss and hit their ear. Jesus said, put your sword up. And I want to ask you this week, are you going to go out into this world and represent the kingdom of peace? And that you're going to try to help Muslims and Hindus and Jews and wandering Christians that were raised in Christendom, are you going to help them to remember that it's not about their seeing hypocrisy and seeing failure? You want to be challenging them. Did Jesus fail you? How do you know that it's wrong to pay back? Who's the one that taught us to turn our other cheek? Where does this meet the road? It meets some of you guys are going to be in Little League sports watching peewee football this week, and a ref's going to make a really bad call. You know where you find out whether the Holy Spirit's controlling your life? That ref made a call. He's made four wrong calls. Get out of here. Man, you're the worst ref I've ever seen. Don't you know that that's my kid that you're abusing? I'm going to get you. That happens. 
I've been there, and I'm competitive. Where's the Prince of Peace? That's where the rubber really meets the road. I want you to leave this room, and I want you to go out into Little League sports. I want you to go out into business. I want you to go out into your neighborhoods. And I want you to not return evil for evil. We're following a Savior that said, love your enemies. Do good for those that persecute you. And I want you to catch for a vision of a movement that through the power of Jesus' spirit, communicate to the world that that's the kind of a Savior that we're following. What does that look like in a church family? Paul tells us, the church family that really gets involved in that, it says they're joyful. So today we need to rejoicing in your families. You need to pray. You need to give thanks, not for all circumstances, but in them. You don't give thanks for cancer. No cancer in heaven. But you can give thanks in the situation. It says, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus concerning you. We need to be really careful not to put out the Spirit's fire. So let's pray that as we move into our togetherness, we don't put out the Spirit's fire, that we're careful that we don't despise prophecies. That means that it fundamentally means that we really listen to the prophecies in this book, but we're really careful not to deny that the Spirit can give us insight into this book. He can give us insight in giving advice to one another, and that's why we need to test the way that we communicate to each other. The Apostle Paul goes on to be careful to test prophecy. So we need to be really careful to test what we hear from God's word. Those of you from a non-charismatic movement, you tend no prophecy at all. No, the Holy Spirit really doesn't speak directly. We don't want to be in a church family that says the Holy Spirit never gives us insight today, never guides us immediately for our circumstances. But those of you that are from a charismatic background, your tendency is to put all the emphasis on what the Spirit's doing in an immediate situation. And you don't take this book carefully. You don't learn to read it consistently. And we've got all of those different backgrounds in our church family. So we want to have that balance. So we really believe that God's spirit is immediately working in our midst. But we can test it upon this book. And we'll be safe if we do that. Then he closes with a benediction and we'll close. He says, may the God himself, the God of peace. That's why I've been talking to you about peace. My daddy in heaven wants to produce peace. Peace in your internal life, peace among your family members, peace in your church. He wants us to be an agent of peace in the world. So they want you to set you apart. That's what it means to be sanctified. I want you to be set apart just like your daddy in heaven. I want you to be sanctified through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body. Paul isn't talking about individual psychology of the individual personality. He's saying I want your whole inner being and outer being, your body, every part of you, I want it to be kept blameless because Jesus is coming back. When the coming of the Lord comes, I want there to be people that are like him. That's what he said. And amen to one who called you. Don't get discouraged because Jesus called you and he's faithful. Brothers, pray for us. Greet brothers with a holy kiss. That means we hug each other. In our culture, that's what we do. We hug. This is what they did for family members. And, and Paul did an incredible thing. It says, what you do for family members, I want you to do for non-blood members. Because in Christ, you're a family. So we should relate to each other. The way that we, things that we do bodily should be what brothers and sisters do, what family members do. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying when he talked about greeting each other with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. That's why I'm reading it. 
We just finished reading the book of Thessalonians. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I just want to ask you that your spirit would be flaming and fiery and powerful in our midst. We praise you for the authenticity of this morning. We praise you for being able to remember your precious son. We praise you that we've been able to join with millions of believers now for more than 2,000 years who've been reading this book of Thessalonians, and they've been trying to allow your spirit to cause them to live it. I want to ask you, Lord, that my brothers and sisters would leave here, that this wouldn't be the end of their consideration of 1 Thessalonians 5. I want to pray that early in the morning that they'll sit down, they'll carefully read 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and following. They'll pray through this. I pray that we'll really talk to you, when, and I pray that I'll do it when our viscera, when deep inside we feel like we want to get somebody. Lord, help us to understand that vengeance belongs to you, and I pray that you give us wisdom about that. Lord, I pray that our services, that our individual worship would be filled with joy, filled with prayer, filled with your word, filled with the immediate presence of your spirit speaking to our hearts. And I just close, Lord, and if there's a friend here that doesn't quite understand what it means to know Jesus, help them to feel free to talk to myself or maybe someone that they know that invited them to come. I pray that no one here in this teaching this morning would miss out on what it really means to have Jesus in their life. Lord, bring about peace in my family, in my church family, in my state, in my nation, in the world. And I thank you that I'm totally confident that one day when Jesus comes, that the Prince of Peace is going to rule from Jerusalem and there will be peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Lord, help our faith in Jesus and our love for Jesus and our love for one another and our total confidence that Jesus is coming back. I pray that that would fill us with joy today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.